We are reminded and assured of God's promises every time we come to worship Him that we who have confessed our sins have strength and confidence in the promises that He's given us in Christ. We can come to Him knowing that He receives our worship because of the death of Christ. And that's our joy and our comfort as we come to worship Him every day. Let's now turn to the Word of God. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the prophecy of Malachi. The last book of the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 2. Malachi 2, we'll start in verse 13 and we'll read through chapter 3, verse 5. This is in connection to the uh, text that we'll be focusing on, 1 Peter uh, 3, chapter, or 3, verse 7, uh, God's instructions to husbands. So we want to read that in the Old Testament context. Malachi 2, verse 13. This is the Lord speaking to His people. And this, is, this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altars with tears, with weeping and groaning, because He no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one, with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit, and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth." For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. You have wearied the Lord with your words. But you say, how have we wearied him? By saying everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord, as in the days of old and as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner, and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. So far, the reading of the uh, book of Malachi. Now let's turn to the New Testament, to 1 Peter chapter 3. First Peter 3, verses 1 through 12.
Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So far, the reading of God's word. As we reflect on what we've read, let's sing together from Psalm 34, stanzas 5 through 7. As mentioned, the text that we want to focus on this morning is 1 Peter 3, verse 7. I'll read that verse again so that we may hear it clearly in our minds. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, so last week we looked at God's word to wives, to Christian wives, a particularly tough passage, a particularly difficult one, especially in our culture where these words are laughed at, scorned, ridiculed, and rejected. And one of the points that we wanted to make there as we looked at those words is, these are, after all, God's words to His daughters. 
to Christian wives, to those whom he loves and treasures and cherishes, to those for whom he wishes good and seeks to instruct in that which is good, that gives life. And that, that changes how we receive these instructions. It's not a cold lawgiver. It is our Father who speaks these words to us. Well, now we want to look also at God's word to husbands. And it's good for us to recognize that although verses 1 to 6, the words to wives, might be the more controversial verses in our culture, verse 7, the word to husbands, probably would have been the more difficult one in that culture to preach. Because what Peter's saying in this verse is, men in the church can be held to a standard by the church, including in the way that they treat their wives. They can be held to account. I wonder if even still today, that's the more controversial message. Uh, the, the culture prevailing in, in many of our homes uh, is, is the man is the boss. It's my home, my dominion, my rules. Nobody tells me what to do in my castle. That's still part of the culture, uh, even still today. Well, what God's Word says is, no, it's not. It may be a, a dominion that is given to you as a steward by God, but you, as a man, as a husband, are accountable, and the church can hold you accountable. Now, if we're going to understand Peter's words to husbands, we need to set this uh, in the context of the biblical view of marriage. We did a similar thing when we looked at the words to wives. Uh, None of this will make any sense to us if we don't first understand what God teaches in Scripture about His purposes for marriage uh, and His intention for what marriage should accomplish. It's interesting to note, the Bible actually begins and ends with a wedding. In Genesis 2, God, uh, the Father, walks His daughter Eve uh, down the aisle, as it were, to present her to Adam, her husband. Uh, so the, book, the, the Scriptures begin with this idea of a wedding. Uh, and the book of Revelation ends with a wedding, with the New Jerusalem, which is the church, being led to her Savior as a bride adorned for her husband. Uh, So, clearly, God wants us to think of the story of Scripture in these terms, as a marriage. And one of the great themes and motifs of Scripture from Genesis through Deuteronomy, through the, the prophets, and then on into the New Testament, is the imagery of marriage being the picture of how God receives and treats His people. And so we can learn a lot from marriage about the character of God Himself. Well, in the first marriage in Genesis 2, we learn that God created Adam first. And Scripture places emphasis on that fact. God gave Adam the calling to cultivate the earth, to subdue it, and to rule over it. Uh, But as soon as God created man, He looks at His creation, and and though He says, this is good, and this is good, and everything seems to be good, uh, there's one thing that's not good And that is for man to be alone. And God said, it's not good for man to be alone, so I will make a helper fit for him. Uh, We saw last week that word helper uh, is not meant as a a denigrating term. It's a term that's applied most often to God himself. Uh, It it recognizes the man needs help, as every woman well knows. 
So God created man then in the first marriage uh, with complementary gifts and abilities uh, and complementary strengths and weaknesses by which they might help and serve and bless one another and then serve God together. Well, it's in that, or, in that God-ordained relationship that God then calls the man to be the head and leader of his wife and his family. So God created Adam from the dust of the ground. God created Eve from the rib taken out of the side of, of Adam. Uh, and then she was brought to him uh, as a helper fit for him. Uh, and in doing so, God ordains that, that man be the head, the, the leader, the representative of his family. Uh, as a covenant head, he is called to lead her to protect her, to provide for her, and to love her. That's, that's uh, collating together different passages of Scripture as they speak to husbands. Uh, and that's what uh, the man did in uh, Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Uh, he, he sang to her even the first love song. Uh, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Perhaps the quality of love songs improved unless uh, we're missing something uh, from that. Uh, but but he, he cherishes her, uh, and he expresses his delight in her. Uh, and he also, as head of the family, takes the first step of naming her, uh, saying, she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. There he also uh, demonstrates uh, his headship uh, as head of the family. And it's in that first marriage then in Genesis 2 that God establishes the pattern by which all men are to follow if they desire to get married. Genesis 2 concludes uh, with the words, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is an enduring pattern for all generations. Uh, That means then, If a man desires to find a wife, which Proverbs says uh, is a good thing to desire, uh, the first thing he needs to do is grow up. He needs to grow up. He shall leave his father and mother. He leaves his parents' house. He goes and gets a job. He he needs to earn an income. He needs to be able to pay his own bills. Uh, He needs to be able to stand on his own two feet. Uh, He takes responsibility for himself financially uh, before he can think about taking responsibility for a wife. Uh, He is to be a man, no longer a boy. Proverbs 24, verse 27 echoes this idea uh, by saying to young men, Go and prepare your work outside. Get everything ready for yourself in the field, and after that, go and build your house. It's this idea that as a young man, your first calling is to establish yourself, to take responsibility for yourself, get your career figured out, and then go and build your house. Then go begin a family. Now, this doesn't mean, of course, that a man cannot get married while still a student or while still working towards a career, but it lays that principle that he will be the one to provide for his wife and needs to be in a position to do so. Uh, Once a man does this, then God says, now go and find a wife. Uh, And then and only then, in the context of marriage, can the two become one flesh. The man and woman enjoy that sacred privilege that belongs to marriage. So Genesis 2 lays out a pattern which men are to follow. 
Uh, and, and that pattern uh, then leads to this sacred bond of marriage, uh, which is the most intimate of all friendships. A friendship, but one that is unique, that is sealed by covenant with promises and with obligations, in which each one, the man and the woman, are profoundly different and yet profoundly made for one another. Uh, And there in that covenant, the man's calling is to continue to be, as Adam was called, the head, the leader, the one who takes responsibility for his wife and children, to lead them, to provide for them, to protect them as uh, their father and husband. Uh, You see this as well in the next chapter in Genesis 3, when man and woman fall into sin. Uh, You see it from two angles. First first from Satan's angle. When Satan comes in to overturn the order of the world, uh, he begins by overturning the order of marriage. He goes not to the husband, he goes uh, to the wife to try to deceive her. Uh, Genesis 3 says she took and she ate and she gave to her husband who was with her. Now, we don't know exactly what that means. Was he right there beside her or was he there in the garden uh, with her? Uh, But the point remains, he was not there as Satan, or, or he was not acting as Satan was there deceiving his wife Eve. The man did nothing. Instead, he allowed her Uh, He allowed Satan to use her to overturn that order. And so he took the fruit from her, and he fell into sin together with her. After Adam and Eve fell into sin, uh, the very order and nature of marriage was overturned. They saw that they were naked, and all of a sudden they were ashamed. Suddenly there is shame in being intimate together. The innocence uh, of, of purity was lost. Uh, Their immediate reaction is to sew fig leaves uh, together, to clothe themselves, to hide themselves from God, but also in another sense from one another, that they might not see one another's nakedness. And yet, now from God's perspective, God comes into the scene, and you notice God still honors the order of marriage. God comes into the garden and calls out to the man as the head of the family, Adam, where are you? You. And this is a question that God would ask so many men today as well. Where are you? Uh, Where are the men? Uh, You are the ones who are called to lead, to provide, to do good. Uh, And so many men are just not there, just like their father Adam was just not there. And so God asks the question, where are you? You men are the ones who are to lead. Uh, As young men, that means you are the ones called, uh, even in your youth, not to squander your youth. As our culture uh, celebrates today, you are called as young men to pursue wisdom, uh, to learn what it means to lead, to see that God has a calling for you. Uh, Become wise while you are young, that you may become, uh, that you may be a strong leader uh, as a man. The whole book of Proverbs is devoted to that one single aim written from a, fa- uh, from a father to his son to teach him wisdom. Uh, you are the one who is called, uh, called to work, to use your strength, to provide, to build, uh, to, to, uh, while being humble uh, before God, to be fearless, therefore, everywhere else, uh, to labor for his kingdom. That's your calling as men. And so God enters in and he calls out Adam, 
Where are you? God holds the man then responsible in the first place for the sin of his family. And that's uh, notable because the woman was the one who had sinned first. Uh, And God does hold her responsible. She does receive a curse. And yet Adam receives responsibility for the whole family. That's where God starts. And God would do the same today. So many men uh, standing in the disaster that is their family uh, still take no responsibility at all. And God's call to them is the same as God's call to this first man. Where are you? Uh, They might shrug their shoulders. Uh, They might, like their father Adam, blame their wives. It's it's her fault. Or blame their children uh, for the dysfunction in their family. And yet God says, you are the one who fails to lead and provide and protect for your family. Uh, And if, if everything then falls apart and the man says, well, hey, I didn't do anything. God says to him, yeah, exactly. You didn't do anything. Like your father Adam You did nothing. You stood by and let Satan ruin your family. Uh, And so since the fall into sin, uh, the the calling from God has not changed, though though the the character and quality of men certainly have. Uh, Men like Adam uh, have abandoned their God-given calling to lead, to protect, and to provide. You look at all the dysfunction in the world and how much of it begins with the absence or failure of fathers. Instead of men giving their lives to the service of of the women and children entrusted into their care, uh, instead they use their wives, they use their children, or they don't get married to their wives in the first place. Uh, They lay down the life of their wives and children for their own self-interest. So when God called out to Adam, it was, Adam, where are you? What have you done? Uh, And the sad thing is, Adam's response to God is, well, it's the woman's fault. It's the woman whom you gave me. It's her fault. She took the fruit. She gave it to me. And so what he says is, God, take her life. Instead of the man who lays down his life for hers, he says, God, kill her. Let her die. This is her fault. And isn't this what so many men still do today? Uh, Whether they are passive men or aggressive and domineering and abusive men, uh, they're following in the footsteps of Adam, uh, failing to take responsibility, allowing their women and their children to suffer so that they can get off scot-free. So God's first word comes to the men, where are you? So Scripture teaches then that when Adam, uh, even though... uh, Um, Eve had sinned first. It was when Adam sinned that the human race fell. Uh, As the head of his family, Adam, uh, by his failure to lead, uh, led his family into ruin and misery. And that's where mankind has been ever since, without God, without hope in the world, because of the sin of their first father, and men perpetuating the sins of their first father. This is where the gospel message comes in and is absolutely critical for understanding what God now says to husbands, to Christian husbands today. Uh, the, the, the words that come here in 1 Peter 3, verse 7, uh, are set in the context of, of the gospel of Christ. The Son of God came into this world born as a man, uh, born to do what Adam could not do or did not do. Uh, by, by Christ's 
life and death, Christ did what Adam didn't do. He took responsibility for his bride, for his church. He did the very opposite of Adam. Where Adam failed in his responsibility towards his wife and towards his children later on, Jesus came to take responsibility. Responsibility that was not even his in the first place. He took upon himself. He makes their sins his problem, his responsibility. And so in Christ, it's in Christ that we see the very essence of manhood. It is to take responsibility. A man is not as so many stupid men in our culture think the one who uh, can spit the farthest or yell the loudest. Uh, Those aren't the things that make a man a man. Uh, A man is not measured by the strength of his muscles or the size of his pickup truck or the coarseness of his language. Things that in our culture uh, are what make a man a man. Uh, We see in Christ what truly makes a man a man. It, It is one who takes responsibility. He takes responsibility for himself. Uh, He pursues wisdom, just like the young man in Proverbs 2 and 3 that pursues wisdom uh, above everything else. He learns a trade. Uh, He he gets an education. He gets a job. Uh, He leaves his father and mother, taking responsibility for himself. Uh, He takes ownership of his own faith as well. He stands on his own two feet and says, this is who I am, and I will serve God. As Joshua, uh, the mighty man of war, said, as for me and my house... We will serve the Lord. He learns his theology. He becomes a a mature member of the church. So he takes responsibility for himself, but he also then takes responsibility for his wife, uh, if God allows him to find one. Uh, He takes responsibility for the marriage relationship. And that's, that, that, that's such a countercultural message in our day. Uh, in our culture today, there's this, now this trend, perhaps you've seen it as well, uh, of women now being the ones to go and buy the engagement ring to propose to their husband. And I know it's silly, like the Bible doesn't talk about engagement rings uh, and all that. Uh, and yet it is a sad indicator of our times that men uh, are so poor at taking responsibility for their marriage, for their relationship. They're so passive, so self-interested and unwilling to be responsible for anything that their girlfriends or their fiancés have to be the ones to take ownership of the relationship uh, and decide when to get married. And ladies, young ladies, if you're dating, if you have to be the one to take responsibility for your relationship because your boyfriend won't, that's a relationship you need to be out of. You need to face the fact that really you, don't, you yourself don't even respect him. You might love him like a mother loves a helpless child, but that's not a man that you want to follow. And the worst part is, while you're dating... He's on his best behavior. It only gets worse from there. So real men, like Christ, take ownership of the relationship. They take responsibility for their wives. Uh, They take responsibility as well for their children. Uh, Men make sure their children are safe. They make sure that their children are provided for. They lead their children spiritually. They don't leave the the Bible reading and the devotions uh, and and the the Christian discipleship and instruction to their wives uh, while they go off and do their own thing. No, they lead them 
uh, as men. They invest in them. They love them. A real men take responsibility as well for the church. You think of men like Daniel or Nehemiah, uh, men who, even in exile, uh, took ownership of their role to lead God's church. They're praying for the church. Uh, Real men contribute to the church. They don't leave that to, to other men in the congregation to take care of. Real men get involved. Uh, they serve in the church. Uh, they, they take responsibility as well for their businesses. Uh, whether they uh, work for their own business or whether they work for a larger company, uh, they take responsibility for the work of their hands. They want the work of their hands to be something that can be trusted in, that is reliable. Uh, and, and finally, we might even mention real men take responsibility for their country, for their community. Uh, they don't just complain about uh, the powers that be that are bigger than them that they can't handle. Uh, n- no, they take responsibility for the, 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 the place in, that they have in their community. So the essence of manhood is to be seen in the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, he comes in strength. He comes in wisdom, not to be served, but to serve, to take responsibility for those entrusted into his care. And what's so amazing about that is that Jesus does that as a sinless man for a sinful people. Even though our sins are not his fault, he makes them his responsibility. All of that is then foundational for what Peter says to husbands, to Christian husbands, in verse 7. Likewise, husbands, he says, live with your wives in an understanding way. Now, we want to notice that word likewise again. If you remember, that was there in uh, verse 1 of chapter 3 as Peter began to speak to the wives uh, in the church. Uh, Well, now we see that word again. And so we want to recognize Peter's not changing the subject here to talk about something new. He's carrying it forward. All of this, uh, this whole section is preceded by that command in in chapter 2, verse 12. uh, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Uh, And then there's an application for citizens towards their government, for slaves towards their masters, for wives towards their husbands. And now he says, likewise, husbands, uh, just as your wives are called to be be wise, uh, so husbands, he says, live with your wives in an understanding way. Uh, In the Greek, uh, that is literally, live with your wives according to knowledge, Uh, or in other words, wisely. Wisdom, uh, according to knowledge, means don't be a fool in the way that you think about your wife, in the way that you regard her as a woman, as so many men really are foolish. Don't be that guy that thinks that because his wife is different than him, that she must therefore be inferior to him, or that there must be something wrong with her. It means recognize what God Himself teaches you, that He made her because you need her. She's different than you so that she can bless you uh, and because you need those differences. Uh, You are therefore called to cherish her, to pursue her, to listen to her, to protect her, and to take care of her. According to knowledge means recognizing that God created her and gave her to you because God saw that it was not good for you to be alone. That's wisdom. 
Uh, She's different than you, therefore live with wisdom. Learn to respect those differences uh, because she she is created uniquely to do things and to be things that you cannot do or be. Uh, Don't be a fool. So many guys think that, uh, that, that men are just better. Men are just better than, than women. All they can see is their own unique gifts and abilities, their own strengths, and they're blind to their own weaknesses, and they conclude, I'm just better, she's just worse. If she would just learn to, to be like me and to think like me, uh, then she would finally be fixed. Uh, and so they fail to live in an understanding way, according to knowledge with their wives. Peter says it this way then, Live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Now there's a lot of debate, not surprisingly I guess, about what Scripture means there when it speaks of her being the weaker vessel, but it's really really quite simple. There are ways in which women are weaker or more vulnerable than men. If somebody breaks into our home, I'm not going to send my wife out there, go get them, girl. Uh, that's, that's not her calling. Uh, men are stronger than women in general, on average. Uh, and so God says, what God says to men here is, don't assume that because you're stronger, you're therefore better. Uh, don't take advantage of her weakness. Uh, don't abuse her. Don't treat her with contempt because you're different than her. her. She has gifts and strengths and abilities that you also don't have. So show honor to her as the weaker vessel. Now Peter uses this language of vessels, and I think it provides a good uh, analogy. Uh, we might say if we think of men and women as vessels, uh, women are like wine glasses, and men are like thermoses. Fair enough? Uh, they're different, because they're designed differently for different purposes. And it's a complete fool who says, well, thermoses are just better. They're not better. They're different. Uh, and that's the, word that, or that's the point that Peter is making here. Uh, God's word has a lot to say about wisdom and folly. Uh, and wisdom is simply this. Uh, it, it is understanding what is true and then knowing how to live accordingly. Uh, so, live with your wives according to wisdom, according to knowledge, means understanding God made her profoundly unlike you, uh, and you need to know how to cherish and honor and respect that, to treat her tenderly, to be strong for her, but also tender to her, to not treat her like you treat one of the guys, to honor her as a woman. And the man who learns to do that will be blessed. Well, Peter adds a final warning as well in this verse, and we want to pay close attention to this. He says, again, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, lest your prayers be hindered. And what's that all about? Lest your prayers be hindered. Well, Peter uses, you'll notice, the same language in verse 12 of chapter 3. Uh, And I think this helps us to understand what he means by lest your prayers be hindered. He says in verse 12, uh, quoting from Psalm 34, he says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. What Peter is saying is if you fail to live with wisdom towards your wife, if you neglect her, 
or you mistreat her, or you abuse her, God will not listen to you. That's what he says. Uh, His ears are open to their prayer, to the prayer of the righteous, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Uh, God will not listen to the man who mistreats his wife. And this is what we see in Malachi. These people are crying out, Why doesn't God accept our prayers and accept our offerings? Uh, And the prophet of God says, Because you're mistreating your wives. God will not listen to such a prayer. Uh, Because before she is your wife, she is God's daughter. And God is not going to listen to the prayers of a man who abuses or mistreats or neglects or belittles or cheats on his daughter. Uh, He gave her to you. You promised to love her, to guide her faithfully, to care for her, uh, and to live with her in holiness according to the gospel. Those were your vows to never forsake her. To be true to her always. Uh, And if you're not interested in keeping your vows anymore, then why should God listen to you? And so Peter, uh, he's building on this point that God lays out in Malachi 2, uh, which, which is worth reading again, just verses 13 to 14 of Malachi 2. Uh, the prophet says, This is the second thing you do. You cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because He no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, Why? Why does He not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. By covenant, that means promises were made. That means a sacred bond was formed and one that God does not forget. So God gave you men who are married. God gave you his daughter to love her, to cherish her, to honor her, as Peter says, a co-heir of the grace of life. And if you're not going to honor that covenant, God will not honor you and God will not listen to your prayers. Any man then who belittles his wife, who constantly criticizes his wife, uh, who regards his wife as less than himself, uh, is belittling, criticizing, and demeaning God's daughter. And God is not impressed with such men. Uh, Any man that sees no problem with letting his eyes wander to fall upon uh, other women uh, wherever he pleases, instead of devoting his eyes to his wife to whom he was brought into covenant, uh, to to God's daughter, uh, is breaking his vow before God. Any man that looks at porn makes himself God's enemy. Any man who ever dares to put a hand on his wife uh, and hit her or even get up in in her face and intimidate her, uh, God will not hear the prayers of such a man because he does this to God's daughter. Why would God ever listen to your prayers if you are mistreating his daughter? Why would God treat you with tenderness and mercy and grace when you treat his daughter whom he has entrusted into your care with contempt or even with violence. He won't. Uh, He will not listen to such a prayer. And God's purpose for you as husband and as wife uh, is that you would be one, uh, which means that you as the man need to listen to her, 
to humble yourself before her, to to attend to her needs, uh, even if you as a man feel like she's too needy. You are there to attend to her needs because you've made a promise to do so. Uh, You are to pray for her every day, to assist her in every way, uh, including also in the raising of your children. Uh, And all of that so that at the end of the day, as Peter uh, images here, at the end of the day, you and your wife uh, can kneel beside the bed together as one and to bring your prayers before your Father that He will also hear you. And so all this comes back to the Gospel. Uh, What God calls you to do as a man is what Christ, the, the greatest of all men, has done for you to take responsibility for your family. And not everything in your family is going to be your fault. Of course not. Uh, not everything in the family uh, that's wrong in the family is your sin. Uh, but it is your responsibility because that's what you promised when you married her. Well, for us men then uh, who know that there's yet work to be done in our marriage, uh, for, for, for those men who are humble enough to recognize that, that uh, you are not yet the husband that God is calling you to be, or not yet that husband perfectly, uh, know that the gospel of Christ offers hope for repentance and change. Now, the gospel of Christ is not that you get to keep on doing what you're doing, to keep on demeaning or neglecting or abusing your wife. Uh, and Christ will just forgive you over and over. No, that's called cheap grace, uh, and God has nothing to do with it. Uh, but the gospel of Christ is, there is hope for repentance and change. Uh, and that repentance begins with confession of sin. Uh, acknowledging your sin before God and before your wife uh, and and confessing it, not excusing it, not justifying it, not minimizing it, but confessing it. Uh, That means confessing it as well to to the elders, uh, to those men who God has placed over you who, uh, who can hold you account. As a man, God has placed you men in a community of other men so that, that you may hold one another accountable. It's what James, the Apostle James says, confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. If we confess our sins, God is merciful uh, even to those men uh, to forgive our sins. This is what Christ died for, that horrible, agonizing death on the cross under the wrath of God to pay the penalty uh, that sinful, proud, malicious sinners deserve uh, that they may be brought to repentance and be forgiven. Uh, And those who do then confess their sins and seek God's forgiveness uh, can also uh, receive the promise that, that the Spirit changes them. God does not leave them where they are, uh, but walks beside them in a better direction. Uh, that's, uh, uh, but, but that then happens in the context of the church, in the context of accountability uh, and hard work, and the use of the means of grace, both the preaching and, and the use of the sacraments, uh, as well as the ongoing input and counsel and admonition of the elders. These are gifts that God gives to you men, whether you feel you need them or not. Uh, all of us men need these gifts. Use them. It's to that end as well. As a church, we have a partnership with the Christian Counseling Center. Uh, if you as a husband uh, are, are failing in your duty and you know it, uh, go there. You can go there free of charge. Uh, 
so that you may receive the help that you and your wife and your children need. And that transformation, then, it takes place over time uh, as we stand in the grace of God. Uh, we are made new. We, we, begin, we, as men, begin to learn for the first time in Christ. It's what we see in, in here in Peter. We learn for the first time in Christ what it really means to be a man. We turn away from our father Adam, from his passivity uh, or his bullying, uh, as so many men have learned. Uh, and we begin to learn what it really means to be a man as we follow in the footsteps of Christ. And even though that process does take a lifetime, uh, there is no greater earthly joy or delight uh, than stepping out of the darkness into the light to which we were called. And that's the big message of Peter. Amen. Amen. <clears throat>